You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Well, good morning. How are we? Good. Great. I hope your summer is off to a good start. My name is Brandon Gilbert. I'm on staff here. I get to serve as college director and also lead our church planting residency. And so um, if you got your Bible, let's go ahead and grab it and turn to Psalm 139. If you don't, don't worry in a minute, uh, it's going to be up here on the screen. Um, we were told, we entered the second week of our Psalm series. We were asked several months ago to pick out a chapter that we really wanted to preach. And Psalm 139 holds a dear spot in my heart is that it's the first chapter of scripture I ever memorized um, and one that is, so if I get a little emotional, you know, just bear with me, all right? I wasn't a believer at that time, um, but it's just one of those scriptures that has just, uh, man, there's something about, serves my affection for Jesus today. And so well, as we look at this, we're going to look at identity and value and worth and, and what and how we define that so often, how we define those things uh, in our lives, but also in the lives of, of others. And so um, it was my freshman year, I just uh, wrapped up an unsuccessful freshman basketball campaign. Um, some of y'all didn't get that. Um, and and we, had, uh, we had some changes going on in, in our program, and we were introduced to this new, young, up-and-coming coach um, on a sport court outside. Um, and we had our first practice in the spring, and we were beginning to figure out how this new coach was going to interact with us. And what began, he said, all right, I want everybody to line up. We're going to go through layup drills. And that did not go so well. And um, so he was like, oh, let's try left hand. And that went even worse. And I mean, guys were throwing it over the backboard. Not me, of course, but I was throwing it over the backboard, hitting underneath the rim. I mean, guys are ducking, getting knocked out by a basketball. And I'm sure coach didn't go, what did I just get into? And about five minutes goes on in practice and he blows whistle and he calls everybody in um, and says, all right, here's the deal. If you can't make a left-hand layup by tomorrow, you're going to get cut. Okay, all right. I mean, guys are staying up till midnight, right? Like, you got to get up 5.30 in the morning, jumping the fence. I mean, they're just working out. And, and then, man, I mean, we get there, and it's just like, from that moment on, something clicked in my head, right? Something went from, I liked basketball for that, to like, this was it for me. My chips are in the middle, right? Like, I'm going all in on this thing. And, and, and here's what began to happen for me, is, is I began to put all these things, I'm not a believer at this time, so, so my identity and worth is trying to be, sought after all these things. And what was intended to be good for me all of a sudden became ultimate. And I threw everything I could at this thing. Probably not enough as I should, but, but I threw everything that I thought at that moment. And I went hard after this. And what began to happen in my own eyes, and not because of anybody else or anything that went on, but I began to find value and worth and identity in how I was seen on the court. And so if I played really good, man, things were, things were awesome at home right? Dad was, dad was good with it. Friends were good with it. Like I found that, that my life revolved around my performance so often. And what began to happen is that became a shell of who God had intended me to be. And I began to search for all this meaning and identity and when it didn't fulfill, I go after other things. And, and what began to happen is I was a shell and I began to dehumanize my own self into this one lane, right? Like this was it. 
This was all I was defined by. And listen, here's the beauty of what we've seen in Jesus. Even if you've been here for the book of Luke series, is that what we saw in Jesus is that Jesus comes and he humanizes those who often found their identity and their plot in life based on what they did, who they were, what they experienced before and after. Like, like he came and he humanized them. He takes what was a shell and he begins to fill this in. I mean, look at Luke chapter four. He's in in the synagogue, and here's what Jesus says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and liberty and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Like here's Jesus enters into this broken culture and he begins to humanize the dehuman and the outcast. I mean, think about what Jesus did in his life. In a society that often marginalized women, Jesus brought them in. In a society where the unclean were kept on the outskirts of the city walls, Jesus heals the demon possessed. He touches the leper. To the outcast and the one that was frowned upon by society, Jesus invites them so often. He sees them and he's sent to them. Like think about his disciples. His, di his disciples are a bunch of dudes who had flunked out of school. They were tax collectors. They were, and these guys were on the outskirts of society and Jesus brings them in. And he begins to bring life and identity and begins to show the good things were not ultimate. The good things that you tried to find your identity in and even some of the broken things are not ultimate. I mean, think about the ways that we try to define worth in our culture today. I don't think we're avo avoidant of these things. I mean, think about this. Sometimes we define worth and identity by individual rights. If I don't have my rights, they are the highest form of worth and without them, I don't know who I am. Or maybe we tried to find it by what culture says we should be. When many cultural philosophers will place the value of humanity in the environment that they were raised in. Or maybe it's historical. Maybe we look at the past and try to shape our future by, by what we see and taking cues from what had happened in history. And while these may be good starting points, they are incomplete answers to the question of value and worth and identity because what happens is when we take these incomplete solutions is that we try to play them out in ways where we find identity and worth in other broken things. So, so maybe that is you. Maybe you grew up in the sports identity. Maybe that was you. Everything revolved around that. Or maybe it was living out your dreams through your kids. <laughs> Or maybe it's the things that you're involved in, the charities you give to, the places that you're seen. Maybe it's how much money you have or what you drive. Or maybe it's the places that you seek to be loved in. And we search for these worths and these avenues. And what we often find is that worth and identity as we go after this continues just to lead us deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole of real unsatisfaction and unfulfillment. And look at what Tim Keller says here. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known, truly loved, is what we need more than anything. And this is how God sees us. Now we could read the scriptures, be closed and be done for today, but you know I can't do that. 
This is what we're looking for, right? Like in all the areas, like, like the reason that sometimes we don't enter into is because we're afraid that when people know us, they won't, they know the true us, the true worth and value. Like, like they'll see what we see so often and that's brokenness and inconsistency and hypocrisy and they won't want anything around. But here's the great thing about God's love for us is that he enters in and sees us and knows us and truly loves us. And so because he loves us, because he is the author and life, the psalmist is gonna lead us to a place where we believe these things about God. So let's look here at verse one of Psalm 139. We're gonna read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit. Here's where we go. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways even before word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot obtain it. We know that God offers true life and true worth because like, he knows us. He knows us. That he doesn't merely know things about us but that he is knowledgeable of us all together. That he is knowledgeable, that he is knowledgeable with a knowledge that knows us through and through. Like I know things, I know a lot of things about a lot of things. And sometimes I think we got, think that God knows us, but listen, God has examined the psalmist very closely and knows him in detail. Like thoughts are the most intimate thing about a person, aren't they? Like think about the thoughts you have when you're driving on the loop and somebody's going 47 in the left lane. You may actually verbalize those thoughts sometimes, but, but those thoughts are the most intimate thing about a person. And God doesn't just know what we're thinking. He knows and is able to discern where those thoughts are springing up from. What is the root of those things? He knows them better than we know ourselves. In those moments we can't verbalize or we don't know or we don't understand, like he knows. He knows, he knows and is able to discern the most intimate things about us. I mean, the beauty and comfort in knowing this is like, I wonder why so often we try to hide things from God and why we try to make it deflect those things away from ourselves. Like here's the beauty of us being able to go through the, the Psalms this summer is we're gonna see David so often say these crazy things like in one verse, God, you've never been so near to me. And then in the very next breath, he's like, where are you, God, right? Anybody ever feel that way? This is the beauty of what David's gonna call us to is an honesty and a trust and a rest in the fact that God doesn't just know, but he knows through and through. The second thing, let's look at verse seven. Where shall I go from your presence? Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascended to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and chill, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall come cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day 
for darkness is as light with you. The second is really simple, that he's not merely present. He's not mere presence, but he is present. That he is not merely presence, but he is presence. A presence that the psalmist cannot escape and one that hems him in on all sides. Like there is no place where God's presence cannot be experienced. There is no place off limits for him to enter in, whether that is the height of joy and celebration or whether those are the lows of sorrow and despair. God's presence, I think sometimes we understand this, that it is everywhere. But where I think we miss it is that God's presence is also personal. That he knows like, think about why this is so comforting. Like, like, for the believer in here, that God knows, he is intimately aware that he is present in the moment. That he is present when you are joyful. He is present when you have made a mistake. He is present when you've missed the mark. He's there with you. But, but for even for those of you that are unsure of where you may stand with Jesus today, like we saw this in the prodigal son, that you have not run, that God has not run from you because of your mistakes in the past. He's not snubbing his nose at you, waiting for you to come back and grovel towards him. He has not run from you, but he is present. He is near to the broken hearted. Like this is who he is. That he isn't merely present, but he has a presence that hems us in, that guards us, that we cannot escape. I mean, look, he says, even the darkness is not dark to you. Well, where am I gonna go from your presence? If I go up to heaven, hey, you're there. If I go into the depths of the earth, you're there. I cannot escape this. That is both terrifying and comforting, isn't it? It's like the parent, man, who just knows what their child's doing. It's a terrifying, comforting feeling. That God is present and that he is leading, that he is not distant. Verse 13, moving on. For you form my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were for me, when as yet there was one, none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. And God is not merely creative power, but he is creator. And he isn't merely a creative power. Yes, he spoke and it was. And that is, that is a joyful celebration of him as creator. But he's not just created power. He is a power that shapes us, that forms us, that fills us. And here's the thing, thrills us. God has intentionally shaped us, that he has known us. Look, it's intricately woven. His eyes saw our unformed substance. He knit us together. Like those are some intricately, I know knitting is kind of a lost art, but that's intricate, right? Like you remember that old cross stitch thing that used to be in your house? Your grandma spent a lot of time on that intricately woven. This is God even more shaping us. And listen, here's even the quirks that we may or may not like about ourselves. Ever since I was a kid, I have had a voice that carries. 
Some would say a face for radio. And God has wired me to be passionate. And that comes with some, that comes with some good things. That comes with bad things, man. I'm extreme on a lot of things. And early on, that was really hard for me to like because there were, there were guys that I saw that were just kind of even keel and they just seemed to be real gentle in the way and I'm just like a bulldozer, man. And, and I wasn't careful. Like I would look at the way that God had wired me and, and, and long for that grass on the green, you know, that, that greener grass that's on the other side of the fence. But man, if I was just like Jacob Reed and talking to Jacob days, like, man, sometimes I wish I was a little bit more passionate. Like, like if I was just that, and, and what began to happen is I could lose the value and worth and identity that God had created in me intricately woven. Like I wish at this sermon, like I could just come across and just be gentle in truth, but you all know at some point I'm going coach mode. But even those things we may or may not like about us, even those things that even may weigh heavy upon us, Here's what the psalmist reminds us that Jesus and points to Jesus in this is that Jesus shows up, that we are valued, that he sees us and that he has always seen us. Like he is creator, he is aware, he is author. He knows the moments of pain and he did not author those moments of pain, but he is near in those moments. And he is the ultimate cause of life. And like when it seems like the last two weeks have just been a fire hydrant of tragedy and sorrow. And we can ask questions and, and I don't have time to, to, to expound on, but we can ask questions of God. We can go all different ways. But here's what the truth of the Bible will point us to, that his greatness and care is overwhelming even when we have questions because he has authored, it. He has authored life his greatness and care is overwhelming to us. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. And because he is the giver, because he is the author and creator of life, all life is valuable. That we want to celebrate and long for diversity and mourn areas of racism. That we celebrate every birth and adoption and foster care and we mourn miscarriages and infertility. We, we long to see abortion ended. We celebrate life and mourn when life is taken. We celebrate every new life that God brings into the kingdom and we long and pray that he would bring more into saving knowledge because he has intricately woven, because he is creator, because he doesn't have creative power, but because he intricately looks and knows and knits. We will value these things in our own life and in the lives of others that identity and value and worth are defined by him, even in the things that we sometimes don't like about ourselves. And because of God's knowledge, because of his presence, because of his creative power, the psalmist will then enter into joyful obedience. Look at verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know me. 
know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That because he believes these things about God, he enters into not mere obedience, but into joyful submission. That he runs, wants to run to the things that God loves and he wants to hate the things that God hates. The trust that has been created by a God who is knowledgeable, who is creator, who, who knows, that allows the psalmist to ask the Lord to plead with him to probe his inward thoughts. It allows him to enter into areas and go, hey, hey, rid out areas of inconsistency and hypocrisy in me. And enjoy, and in so he joyfully submits to God's correction and direction. Even in the days that are known, like they're at the end, like these days that are known for me, like that can be really terrifying sometimes. And it may be a struggle for us that we may not like the days that God has for us. That we may not even like the length of the days that God has for us. But, but what the psalmist will lead to in saying this, search me, O God, is he is leading us to ask this question and lean into the truth of the word. Do we trust God as a good and knowing father even when sometimes we can't see it? Even when sorrow and tragedy just seem to be rolling in like waves one after the other in our own lives and lives of culture. He calls us to do we trust that God is good and knows. And like, here's the great thing about this. It's not some general call, but rather he gets on our level. It's a call individually. This is what we see in Jesus. If Jesus is all the fullness of God, was pleased to dwell in Jesus as Colossians would tell us, then we take our cues from how God interacts. Like he calls by name. We saw this a few weeks ago with Zacchaeus. He knew Zacchaeus' name. He calls by name. He asks questions of us. He gets on our level. He is not annoyed with us. And because of this, because God knows, because he is present, because he shapes and forms because we are called into joyful obedience, like we as Christians are to engage the world in a way. Like it changes some things about us. It changes some things about the way that we engage, like my attitude towards God. Because he's knowledgeable and present and creator, like he's not a distant clockmaker. Like sometimes I, I feel like God has this alarm clock and he's just kind of, rolled it up, set it on the nightstand, and just kind of like hands off going, all right, figure it out, Brandon. I'll be back in a couple thousand years. I'll make all things right. But until then, you're on your own. You look out for you. But because we believe the truth of the scripture there, that he is not some distant clockmaker, but that he is an engaged and moving God, my attitude towards him changes that worth and value has been imparted to me by my creator. And this brings joy, but it also brings confidence. And if I know that my worth and identity is in him and that he is working actively in my life for his glory and my good, then my attitude towards that loving father changes from distance to embracing. 
It changes. But it also changes my attitude towards myself. Like, listen, no one is harsher on you than you. Think about the thoughts you have about you. No one is harsher on you than you. But God's view of you causes you to have hope in something, right? That my individual rights are not the end all that define me. My career is not the thing that defines me. What people say about me is not what defines me. Even what I say about myself is not what defines me. I'm often self-deprecating in my approach, man. I will go hard on how weak and inconsistent I am. Like there are yelling matches with myself. But if I know what God says about me, if I know the hope and joy that I have in the midst of the brokenness, that I can find true joy and celebration, then that allows me to embrace the ways that God has wired me. Allows me to embrace the things that I may not even like about myself. Allows me to use those things for his glory. That your attitude towards yourself begins to change. And then our attitude towards our fellow man can change. In an age that we seem to want to polarize people based on surface level differences, the Christian lives in a different air. Just lives in a different air. The people are no longer statistics to be argued, but people to be embraced and acknowledged. I think so often we look at culture and we think culture creates. Culture doesn't have the power to create. God is the creator. Culture can sway, but God is the creator. Culture does not define you or my worth, but God does. And because of that, I can enter in with love and patience and compassion that my view of my fellow man is not defined by the news or the political aisle, but is defined by the intricately woven human that God has created. And I think so often we think that we've got to change culture through these grand scale things like Twitter. But the reality is that for the Christian, God's just calling us to maybe enter into your sphere of influence, to put your arm around the hurting and the broken, to preach the good news to the lost and searching, to proclaim that truth with compassion and listen, excitement. God has called you to this, that we are imitating Jesus as we go. So even when the world wants to move us to despair, even when our own lives sometimes wants to lead us down there, God is present in those moments. He is there with you and he's leading you through those things. He's walking us through things that sometimes we can't see until years later. But he is good and he is loving and we are bound back to the truth of his word. That while he may not have authored those situations, that brokenness and sin is a reality and there are consequences of those things in our lives that God may have not authored those but he is there in the midst. So where are you today? Like, where do you need to be reminded that God is not absent? Is it personally? Is it in your own life? Is it how you may view the world around you? Where does your attitude need to be defined by gospel truth? 
That God doesn't just change morality, but he changes us into a new creation. This is the hope that we can have. That value and identity and worth are imparted to us by our creator. That God has given us joy to enter into our spaces of influence today. And that we seek out marginalized. We seek to bring clarity to the struggling, to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Where does the gospel need to grab hold of you today? Where do you need to believe about your worth, identity, and value in Jesus? And how do you breathe that out to the world around you? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of what it stirs up in us. And sometimes that's gonna expose maybe some things that we have kind of buried, things that we've ignored. Maybe it brings a lot of hope today. I I don't know where everybody is in this room, but God, you do. And so I pray, Lord, that the gospel would meet them where they are today, Lord, that the gospel would come and and speak life and truth. God, we would be bound to who you are, bound to the truth of what your word says and not what often we see or even the thoughts that we speak to ourselves, God. That we would not take ultimate good things and make them ultimate in our lives and define ourselves by by mere shells of what you have offered when you are offering life and that life to the fullest. God, help us to believe that and we awaken our hearts to that today. Stir our affections for Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.